So you guys doing? Good. Good. It's weird to sit here and then come here for two years to think that I'd actually be teaching the study one night. It's man, I've come a long way, and I'm no Bible teacher, but I guess I'll do my best tonight. I, I don't want to teach you guys. I want the King to teach you something. So bear with me. My speech may be a little shaky. I'm not, like I said, a Bible teacher. My teaching goes as far as three guys on a Wednesday night for discipleship, so this is a lot more than three guys. But uh, before we get into it, I want to open with something. It's in Psalm chapter 100. It's just something to get our, our mind focused on the Lord and just uh, to shake off the things of the day and just to understand and really get your mind focused and set on what we have in store for us tonight. Psalm 100, it's a, it goes along with the perfect theme that Brian wanted me to teach on Thanksgiving. It's a psalm of thanksgiving from David. And it, it just goes like this, verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we not, and we not ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. And God, we come before you tonight knowing that you are the good and almighty God, that your mercy does last to all generations, God. And I would pray and I'd ask that you would speak through me tonight. That you would uh, teach your word in a simple way, Lord, that these people may grasp a hold of it and understand it and apply it to their lives, Lord, and just clarify everything that comes out of my mouth, that it would just impact their heart perfectly here tonight, God. I, I commend myself into your hands, just willing to be molded and shaped and used by the Holy Spirit to, to be led and directed in any way that you want me to go, Father. So God, would you join us here? Jesus, would you descend and sit in the chair with us here tonight? Holy Spirit, would you rest upon this place? Would you teach us and guide us in your word? So thankful to have it. Maybe we can't read it in Hebrew and Greek, but we are just so grateful to have it in English. So God, we, we, we want to bless you tonight. Teach us and, and show us how we may do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So I get a call from Brian about, what was it, Saturday night? Sunday? So hey dude, I was all, what did I say? He's all, you want to do a study? And like myself, I said no. And he's all, what are you, a sissy? I'm like, well yeah. He's like... Come on, fool, do a message. I was like, ah, okay, so I guess I'll do it. So that's how I got looped into this, and not really stuck, but blessed to do it, and just thankful to even do it. I'm going to be in Colossians. I'm not going to burst Brian's bubble on the teaching through the book of Colossians, but there's one verse I want to look at in particular to tonight. It's going to be in chapter 1, verse 12, and just to continue on Brian's uh, theme of the book of Colossians and to continue in it to not waver and go into like a whole other book or anything like that. I want to keep us in it so we, to wait, so we can stay focused and, and continue on our path through it. Just a little context behind the, context behind the book of Colossians. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul in the year around 62 AD along with Philippians, Ephesians, and all the other prison epistles that he writes and he pens to these people. And the weird thing was, we, we noticed that Paul never visited this church. It was a church started by Epaphras, and we all learned that from Brian, and I just want to get that ingrained in our head that we may hide these words in our hearts that they, 
would just be brought to further remembrance, who knows, maybe in later studies of the Bible. So that's why I'm going over this again. And the reason why Paul addresses this church, the reason why Paul wants to speak to this church in particular is because he gets word from Epaphras or, or from someone from the church at Colossae that the Gnostic heresy is going around. We know that the Gnostics believed that Jesus was not a, a real man because they thought the flesh was doubtfully wicked. So if God was to be in the flesh, he can't be. Well, if the flesh is wicked, God cannot dwell on something, something that's wicked. So they would teach people that God is not, or Jesus Christ was, was not in the flesh. But Paul yet describes and, and, and tells us that, that it's, it's wrong, that they were wrong in teaching heresy. Even John chapter 1 tells us that. He came in the flesh and dwelt among us his flesh right there. So that's why I believe Paul writes this to where he can nip that problem in the bud and continue on it and working through this church to see it grow and to be further, bear further fruit. And as I was reading the book and just trying to get a whole context of what the book of Colossians was about, I, I stumbled across the word thanks and thanksgiving five times in this book. And I don't know if it's the theme of this book. I don't know if it's something particular, but we know uh, Philippians has a theme. It's the theme of joy. Who knows? Maybe this is the book of thanksgiving. To be thankful in all we do. We, we know that it's stated twice in chapter 1. It's stated once in chapter 2, once in chapter 3, and once in chapter 4. So I looked up these words in the Greek to understand what they were and to get the context of them. And in, in chapter 1 and 3, the words are, are used to be, to be grateful. So the word thanks in, in chapters 1 and chapter 3 are, the, are in to use to be grateful or to be, to be gratified or to give gratitude to something for something, someone for something. And then in chapters 2 and chapter 4, it's, it's the way that they're implied as an act of worship. So we got these two terms, thanks and thanksgiving, weaved in and out of this book of, to the Colossians. And it struck me. I was talking with Brian one time, and he's like, I love just to sit back and think and get the ideas of Paul and see what he's doing and see what he was thinking at this particular moment as he was sitting in the jail cell and to understand what was going through his mind, what was going through his heart. That he may write it inspired by the Holy Scriptures to speak to this church, to speak to that. That's why I believe Philippians is, is the book of joy. So if you want joy, you turn to Philippians. Maybe if you want to be thankful and understand what to be thankful for, we should turn to Colossians because... We see in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he just goes into all these profound statements of Jesus Christ and, and why we should be thankful for Him and what we should be thankful for. But yet I want to focus on verse 12. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And it's weird to think that Paul sitting in jail, sitting in a Roman prison, probably beaten up, bloody, and just broken and just beat down and just tired of life. But no, we see him giving thanks to the Father. We see Paul saying, okay, in this time, in this trial, in this peril, in this situation, I'm going to give thanks to the Father. And that, in my mind, because I, I like to think skeptically and, and just honestly ask the blunt questions, well, why would you give thanks to God if you're sitting in a Roman jail, beaten, bloody, and, and talking to a church that you've never even seen or visited or even planned on visiting. That was a question that I posed to myself, and I was like, well, why would he even want to do that? Why would he give thanks to God in this situation? But yet, this is where the church, I think, suffers, and I think the church stumbles in most of our Christian walks. As I looked at myself, and as I'm getting over a stomach virus, as I, I, I told Brian, I told him yesterday how I just 
man, I was beaten down by this. It was I had like a bad acid reflux where it felt like someone was sticking a pencil in my chest and just like twisting it. It was just gnarly. And then this morning it was just like someone grabbed my stomach and did an Indian burn to it. You guys ever had an Indian burn before? And it's just like getting worked, you know? And and I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, dude, I'm hating life. I'm not even praying. I don't even want to just like, how could I be thankful for this? And yet I look at Paul and how he's so thankful to these people and how he's thankful to God because I know our God is sovereign and I know our God puts us in perils and tribulations and stuff like that that we may grow. But yet I even stumble in this part because I didn't act like Paul. I didn't follow the example of Paul in this sense of giving thanks to God no matter what. Because we see Paul here saying, giving thanks to the Father. And I believe Paul had a great and a deep and just such a knowledge and a wisdom of God that all of us lack, and I wish that we would all have an understanding to grasp onto. I think Paul saw God in his entirety. He took a step back and saw the whole entire picture of God and His sovereignty, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, that he could even pen these, these verses in here, like verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What natural man just randomly stumbles onto that and writes that? It has to be someone who understands who God is, and that's what I want to do tonight, because I believe to be truly thankful in anything and everything that we do, to be truly thankful in everything that we go through, every suffering, every trial, we must have a clear picture of who God is to understand and to give thanks back to Him. So, there are two verses in the Old Testament that I want to look at to understand who God is and to understand the character and, and just... I want to let God speak for God in a sense. So I'm going to, the first one is Exodus 34, verse 6, and the second one is Psalm 86, 15. I got a lot of verses tonight. You guys don't have to flip there. So this is what Exodus 34, 6 says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. This is the incident where Moses was put into the cleft of the rock because Moses was crying out, let me see your glory. And as, the glory, as God's glory passed by, this is just the glory of God. This is what was proclaimed to Moses as he was sitting there and looking upon the glory of God. It said, the Lord, which is in all capitals, so it's Yahweh. So we know Yahweh. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Okay, well, we, well, what is that? Okay, give me some more proof. Why? Because I'm a skeptic, you know? So I'm like, okay, I want more proof. What's one verse out of the whole entire Bible? There's like hundreds and just probably maybe even thousands of verses in there. Do you got any more? So I'm sitting there thinking, posing the question to myself, okay, well, where, where else can I find it? Maybe in a later book, in a later chapter somewhere, to, to weave this, this line of consistency all the way throughout the Bible. So then I flip to Psalm 86.15. It says, But you, O Lord a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in, abundant in mercy and truth. So I was sitting there and I was looking at these two verses and I was like, well, okay, I just got slapped in the face. The Lord kicked me in the dome and just worked me over, put me in a chicken wing and said, say mercy. And I said mercy. So, but as you look at these two verses, you see something that, that jumps out and is so parallel to both of them. They both have merciful, they both have gracious, long-suffering, goodness and truth. And to fully understand this and to fully, like I said, I'm a skeptic. So to fully understand this and to fully say, okay, I'm going to rest on this. I, I believe in this and this is who God is. I'm going to take this into the New Testament to prove these Old Testament characteristics of who God is. To get the full concept of God. Because if we don't have the full concept of God, how can we be fully thankful? 
So, for the term merciful, it, it's... Oh, how's it defined? I totally forgot. Not getting what one deserves. That's what mercy is defined as. Not getting what one deserves. And it says this in Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, the key word, mercy, He saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we know God is merciful, and it proves that fact. It nails that one home, in a sense. It, it puts the nail in that coffin to say, okay, well, the Old Testament is saying that He's merciful. God testified for Himself to where He's merciful. So now we're weaving this path of consistency through the Bible. Okay, well, it says He's merciful right there. So, I'm, okay, it satisfied me as a skeptic. And then we jump to gracious. The, one of the greatest verses, Ephesians 2.8, we all know this. For by grace, keyword the grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Wow, that nails home that, that point right there, that characteristics, because it says it is a gift of God. What is that? The grace and the faith, and the salvation through the faith. Hmm. So that would quiet my mind as a skeptic, and all these are in the New King James Version, if you guys are wondering, but... And then the fourth, I think it's the fourth, third, long-suffering. It says this in 2 Peter 3.15. It says, And consider that the long-suffering, key word, of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So the long-suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God in a sense, is, is salvation. It's weird to see that these three verses were had to do with salvation, and yet God is eternal, and God is is above all that, and God is forever. So, man, I'm I'm like I'm 0 for 3 right now as a skeptic sitting here saying, well, how could I be thankful? How could I truly give God thanks and and truly be honestly and fully thankful for what He's done for me and, and these trials that I'm going through and this sickness that I'm battling in my stomach? How could I even be thankful? Well. Looking at this, I'm pretty 0-4, and, and, and God's looking pretty good. He, he's, he's making the mark. He's measuring up to the standard that He should be to give thanks to Him, to give it the honor and the praise, and to enter into His gates with thanksgiving, as we read in Psalm 100. So then we look at goodness. And it says this in John 7... Oh, no. I'll find the verse right now. Romans 2.4, it says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, keyword goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness, oh, there it is twice, in the same sentence, keyword, of God leads you to repentance. So it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to that grace, that leads us to salvation. Man, if, if we didn't, receive this goodness of God, if, if the characteristic of goodness was not in God, would we even, even have the opportunity to be repentant, to be saved in a sense? Lord, I'm happy that you are good. I'm happy that you are merciful. I'm happy that you are long-suffering and gracious. But yet this is the last, and the last uh, characteristic of who God is. I don't want to say last because that's a lie. Because there's tons of characteristics of who God is. But this is the last one that I found from those verses. It's truth. And we, and we read this in, in John 17, 7, when Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So, okay, we've got to 
we got this consistency painted all throughout the whole entire world. I started in Exodus, went to Psalms, and then went all throughout the whole entire New Testament, painting this picture of consistency of who God is. We also know that God does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So when is it going to click in our heads, in our minds, in my mind, that God is worthy of thanksgiving, He's worthy of the praise, He's worthy of being thankful to, or being thanked, even if we just breathe. I think about the song that we, th- that we sing, Your Grace is Enough. And, and I sit there and think about it and analyze it. Well, I'm like, well, is your grace enough? Is it, honestly? God, is your grace enough for me? If I was just to wake up and just by your grace, I wasn't to have my truck, I wasn't to have my friends, I wasn't to have my Bible, I wasn't to have anything. Was your grace enough in that? Could I give thanks to God in that? I believe Paul could because Paul didn't have a Bible, he didn't have a truck, he was beaten and bloodied in a prison. So Paul understood this. Paul could sit back and say, yes, he is worthy to be praised, he is worthy, worthy to be thanked and honored. So guys, the question is, is how is, our, how is our thought pattern, how is our life, how do we image God in our head, how do we picture Him, how do we say, okay God, this is who you are, and even though I'm going to lose this, I'm sick right now, I don't want to get up, I don't want to re- pray, I don't want to read your word, I don't want to do any of this, but yet I'm still going to thank you? It doesn't, it doesn't add up. We must have a clear conception of who God is to to always be in that state, to always be in that. Because we read in Paul's epistles all over the place. I give thanks to the Father for your faith. I give thanks, I always give thanks mentioning you in my prayers. I always give thanks, always giving thanks, always giving thanks, always giving thanks. Because Paul had a right, and uh, the right understanding of who God was and how big he was. So now that I've painted the picture of God's attributes, let's paint a picture of who he actually is, what he looks like in the Bible. I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. I didn't write these down. They're just so many. Not really so many of them, just long texts. I got them underlined in my Bible, though. So this is a physical description of what the heaven room scene looks like and all this. In Isaiah 6, chapter, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So, okay, we know he sits on a throne, high and lifted up. Okay, he's high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, so he's wearing a robe, he's sitting on a throne, and he's high and lifted up. That's pretty well known throughout the scripture. It says your throne, your throne's going to reign forever, you're high and lifted up, and your scepter of righteousness will reign throughout the earth. Okay. Prove me wrong, well, show me something new. As a skeptic sitting here saying, okay, well, I want more. Well, let's go a little deeper. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. I told you guys have a lot of verses. Sorry. In verses 26 through 28, it says, And above the firmament of their heads was the likeness of a throne. This is before, or this is uh, Ezekiel describing the, the seraphim and the cherubim who he saw before, and, and this is going into it. He says, In appearance like a sapphire stone, on the likeness of a throne, with a likeness that with, was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Okay, well, we got that clear. Two, two places in the scripture where it says we're weaving the, the pen of consistency, the, the road of consistency through it. We, we know that there's two thrones. Not two thrones, but one throne. Proven this by two different people. Then he goes into a little deeper. It says above that, there was, it was an appearance like a sapphire stone. I believe the sapphire is red. 
don't know. I couldn't look up. Yeah, thanks, James. And I couldn't look it up because the internet was down today, but and it says there's an appearance of a man high above it, so we know it's also high. And it also in verse 27 it says, Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around, with, within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around it. Thus was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Okay, so we're looking at the glory of the Lord again. We're looking at God and who He is. Well, is this the same glory that, that Moses saw? I believe so. Maybe Moses just got the characteristics, not really the, the description to actually say what the colors look like and all that. But to sit back and to see this and to put all this into perspective and, and to close your eyes and actually understand and picture this in your head. Okay, we've got a, a man sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and above his head is like the color of a sapphire stone, so we know it's like a bright, dark red. And then from his waist upward, I saw the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around. So, okay, in the midst of the sapphire red, we have the appearance of amber with the color of fire all around it. This is a pretty, pretty good picture of who God is, and it's, man, I'm, I'm astonished. I, I don't know what to say. And we continue, and it says, And from the appearance of his ways downward, I saw the appearance... I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. So, okay, b below him is the brightness of fire. So, okay, we know fire is above and below. Then it says, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around. So, okay, in the midst of all this, amidst the sapphire, amidst the amber, the fire up top and the fire below, yet there's also a rainbow there. Is this getting uncomprehendable? Like, is this, okay, God, you, you're worthy of things. <coughs> Pleasing the skeptic, we got one more in Revelation chapter 4. In verses 3 and 5, it says this. I'll continue in verse 2, at just the latter part, so we get an understanding of what's going on. And one sat on the throne. Okay, we're back to the throne scene. So the, thrones, the throne is there. Skeptic, you're, you're smashing the face. It's done. Stop asking your questions. Okay, sorry. So the throne's there. It, it has to be there. It's been, it's been there. The consistency through the Bible is there. We had two Old Testament, now we have a New Testament. It says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. Okay, now we're talking about the one who was sitting there. Like a jasper and a sardis stone. I don't know what that is. I think jasper is like a blue... I don't know. I wish I had, would have got the colors and shown you guys. But And there was a rainbow around the throne. Okay, we know the rainbow is there. That solidifies that. That is there. And it says, in appearance like an emerald. Okay, now we've got an emerald thrown in the mix. Amongst the sapphire, the amber, the fire, the fire below, the rainbow, the other rainbow, and now we've got an emerald. That's a green. So just think about all these colors that are, that are, that are up there. Think about how rich this is. Think about how glorious this is. Think about the glory of God when it says that there won't be any light in heaven because the glory of God is just going to be the light, the glory of the Lamb. And think about it, hitting all these colors and shining all these colors. And that's who you're giving thanks to. And we're mere human, made out of flesh and dust. Okay, that's what we're made out of, dust. And we are so stubborn to give Him thanks and to give Him glory and to give Him honor. That's not it. I didn't even go into verse 5. And from around the throat proceed, proceeded, proceeded sorry, lightnings and thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. 
So, okay, we know in the midst of all this beautiful color, in the midst of all this just jewelry and fine diamonds and fine rocks and stones and gems and stuff like that, there proceed from the throne thunderings and, and, and lightnings. So in the midst of the sapphire, in the midst of the two rainbows, in the midst of the fire up top, the fire below, the emerald, the jasper, the sardis, the sapphire, now we, got, now we throw thunder and lightning into the mix. I think about when Brian was talking about fearing the Lord. If, if you're not fearing the Lord, man, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I hope this paints a clear picture of, of who God really is so we can understand and to truly and honestly give Him thanks. Because once you see how rich He is, we, we understand. And we read in the Old Testament that He sings and dances around us. Okay, this God that I just described right now, the consistent God throughout the whole entire Bible, the God that I just put a little fingerprint on, and this is with man's cheap and, and knocked-off vocabulary. We won't even understand it until we fully see it. And yet we're so stubborn, sitting in our own way, no, i got a stomachache today, I don't want to give you thanks. What? We didn't even go into the description of the people who were around the throne, the, the creatures who were around it. Check this out, I'll just describe one of them. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes, around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is to come. Okay, so now we've got these four living creatures. One of them had a face of an ox, one of them had a face of a man, one of them had a face of a lion, and one had a face of an eagle. And they all had six wings on each of them. And they're covered with eyes. Okay, imagine if I was talking right now and that thing hovered over my head. No matter how tough you are, how strong and how much you bench, I don't care. How much you curl, Brian, I don't care. <laughs> You're going to be afraid. Think about eyes all around. What? That's crazy. And yet this thing says it does not rest day or night, but it says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And yet we, us mere humans made of dust, are sitting here on our beds with a stomachache saying, No, I don't want to give you thanks. I hope this is all coming into perspective to say, okay, man is, is very frail. Man's life is but a vapor, as we read in James. So why not give him thanks? That's why I understand, that's why I think Paul understood this. Paul saw the glory of Jesus Christ when he knocked him off his horse on Damascus. Who knows, maybe Paul was up there on the backside of the desert. Who knows, maybe Paul was caught up into the third heaven. We read about it in the, Corinth, in the epistle to the Corinth, the church of Corinth. That he, he doesn't know whether it was in the third heaven or out of the body or in the spirit. He doesn't know. But yet he saw some of this crazy stuff. Is that why Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, beaten up, bloody, and just beaten down, can say, I give thanks to God. I give thanks to God the Father. Man, I hope we can go into this, this Thanksgiving season and then the Christmas season, the most beautiful season besides Easter sunrise our Savior being born. Can we even go in there and give Him thanks? Man, I'm, I'm so far from this. I go to my family function and I'm like, I don't like you guys. I'm like, I don't want to be here. The food stinks. You guys all complain about who's taking the check. And come on. <laughs> What's the deal? Who's thankful for that? Paul would be thankful for that. Paul was thankful when he had whips, lashings. Oh, man. It just convicts me because I know how unthankful I am and how... For granted, I take who God is. Okay, now that I've painted the picture of what God's characteristic is like, 
or characters are like. Now I painted the picture of what he looks like. Okay, if this God is all who you say he is, let's paint the validity of his promise. Let's paint the vi validity of his word. If he's all powerful and has all these emeralds and jewels and fine stones and has these weird beasts saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How valid is he? Has he ever lied before? Has he ever just not kept his word? Shoot, skeptic, you're like 0 for 2 right now, man. You don't even pose that question because you would just get kicked in the face. Join me in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. says this, this is Moses' farewell letter to the children of Israel. It says this in verse 8, But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore, know, the, know that the Lord your God, he is God and faithful, no, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Wow. Well, I don't believe that. Let's see the consistency through the Bible, you say. Or the skeptic would say. Or who knows, maybe even some of us in here would say that. I hope this would strengthen your faith as we paint the picture of consistency. Because we get that question all the time. Well, the God of the Old Testament is just one full of wrath and indignation and just hates people besides the children of Israel. Yeah, right. That's why I read those prophecies that the, whom, the people who are not my people, they have now been my people in Hosea. We read about that. Then we, then we hear, well, the God of the, Jesus Christ of the New Testament is just one of love and peace. He was nothing but a hippie. Yeah, right. You ever read Matthew 23? So pr prove, let's prove the skeptic wrong in this. Let's jump to Psalms 105:42. Now we're in the middle of the Bible. It says this. I, I think this one nails it home, but the next one just, oh, shoot, man, just nails it. Stinking home. Out of the park. <coughs> it says this, Psalm 105, 42. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Okay, well, what does that mean? To cross-reference this with Deuteronomy 34, 4. You guys don't need to flip there. I'll just flip there really quick. And, and to, to clarify this verse in Psalms, it says this. This is what God says to Moses before they cross over into the, into the promised land because we know Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land. Why? Because God kept his word. What happened? Moses didn't hollow his name on the day when he was supposed to strike the rock. He hit it twice. So God said, you're not going to see the promised land. So what? We see Moses not seeing the promised land. I didn't even plan for that one. Just, the Lord showed me that after I did this. And in verse 4 it, said to, it says, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give, give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over it. So we see two fulfilled promises in there. We know that after Moses died, they do go into the promised land, which he did promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many generations ago was that? We know 40 years went by in, in the desert. Then we, we know... All the things before that, when they were with Pharaoh and stuff. So over a course of generations, that's a pretty long time to keep two promises. And then also the minor one, when Moses wasn't allowed in. Okay, well, you're still in the Old Testament. Jump with me to first, oh no, Hebrews, chapter 6, if you want. 
And if you're a skeptic and you're here tonight, I, and you don't believe it after this, I don't even want to talk to you. This is verse 17 and 18. It says, it says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Wow. This one is just, this nails it home right here. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Sorry, skeptic. 0 for 3. Strike out. Sit back down. So guys, I hope I painted a clear picture of who God is, of how valid He is, of how, how His characteristics never fail, how it's consistent throughout the Bible, how His consistency of what His character looks like, of what He actually is and who He is. I hope I was able to clarify that for us tonight. I hope I was able to paint a com consistent picture through the Bible of showing from the Old Testament to, or from the, the five books of the Torah to the poetical books to the New Testament of showing that God doesn't change. There's not two separate gods. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And, and why would you do that? Why, Dakota, why did you go all into that to, to say, to give thanks to Him? After describing what He looked like, does He not even deserve thanks? After hearing about the creatures that worship Him day and night and do not rest? Like I said, we're mere dust sitting on our bed because we have a stomach ache. Because it's getting a stinking rug burn and we're saying, no, I'm not giving you thanks. But yet Paul, in prison, beaten, three times he had 40, mi 40 lashes minus one, was able to give him thanks? But that also poses the next question in the verse. I, I, sorry, I didn't even go through all of the verse. It's just the first five words. And it says this, continuing, Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And this is what I wanted to get to tonight. This is the, my main topic tonight was the inheritance. What we have from this God that I described. This God who sits upon a throne, who's, who is from his waist up is Jasper and, and, and Sardis, from his waist down is, is like fire, where there's rainbows around his throne, where there's a sapphire stone, there's a an emerald thrown in the mix, there's thunders and lightnings, there's fire all around. Shoot, if I found an emerald, man, like, I could sell that for bank. But yet, that's what is beaming from the throne of God? How rich is this inheritance? How rich is this inheritance that we have in Him that we've been qualified for? But that poses two questions. How do we get an inheritance, and what is in this inheritance? Because everybody wants to know what is in this inheritance. I know Jason Martin was blessed with an inheritance. I'm pretty sure he wanted, what's in this mess? What do you got for me? But first, we must understand how this inheritance was, was even, even able to be given to us. So in Colossians chapter 1, uh, sorry, Jumping ahead. John 16, 14, 15. You guys don't have to flip that. I'll just read it really quick because it just sets the backdrop and the, of what's going on and how we're able to inherit this because we know one must die for us to get an inheritance. You don't get an inheritance when you're, when you're still alive unless you're the prodigal son who's just a jerk and says, give me my inheritance so I can go spend it on myself. But 
nowadays you get the inheritance when you die. So in John 17, oh no, John 16, sorry. Whew, getting mixed up. Verses 14 and 15 is Jesus saying this. It says, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father, keyword the Father, who we just described, has are mine. So they're Jesus's. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So whatever the Father has, Jesus has. So everything that we described, what the Father was and, and where the Father is and what the Father has, is Jesus Christ. So it's going to be declared to us. That's the inheritance. So whatever is up there, that, that's what we get. But yet we also must have someone to die for us, that we may get that inheritance. And who is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world? Jesus Christ. That's how we come into this inheritance. Well, being me and being the question guy that I am, I, I ask the question, well, to be a part of an inheritance, don't you have to be a part of the family? Doesn't God beget God? That's why Jesus Christ was God? Well, yes. Well, I'm not God. Shoot. Looks like I'm out of the inheritance. No, that's where Galatians chapter 3 comes into play. Galatians 3.26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in 4.7 it says, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son then an heir of God through Christ. That's why I believe Paul writes at the end of that statement, to the saints in the light. Because if you're in Christ, you're a saint. If you're not, you're an ain't. Good old John Corson quote. You know? So we are, sons and, we are sons and daughters to God, to Jesus Christ. We are part of this inheritance when Jesus Christ died because our faith in Jesus Christ, so that makes us a part of the family of God? Yes. It's too simple. Believe it. The simplicity of the word is the best thing. You were sons and heirs because of faith. Okay, well, let's, let's see what this inheritance entails. Let's see what this inheritance has for me. Let's see what this inheritance is. Paint the picture of this inheritance. I want to know what I'm getting. Psalm 37:18 says this, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. Okay, now you're speaking my language. This inheritance is forever, so it's not going to run out. It's not going to dwindle. There's going to be no lack in this inheritance. I'm, I'm digging it. So, okay, we know it's forever. Daniel 12:13 says this, But you go, but you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Okay, we know that word arise is symbolic for, for dying and, and, going up with Je and going up with to be with Jesus Christ and God the Father. So we know that it will happen and we'll get the fullness of it once we go and die and go with him. Or who knows, maybe till the end of the age. Who knows, like Josh said, maybe ten seconds, we're out of here. No, we're not. So we still got to wait until we die. Until Christ comes in. Acts 20.32 says this. So now, brethren, I command you to God and, give the, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So we know that you have to be a son and an heir, that it's going to last forever. We're not going to get the fullness of it until we die, until we're in heaven, or until the rapture happens. 
Wow, 8.20 already? Shoot. But I'll just continue and hurry up and wrap this up. Who, those who are sanctified. So you must be sanctified. If you're sanctified, you're one of His because you have that faith. You understand that. You know that. So then in 1 Peter, 1, 4, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So, okay, we know it's forever. We know that we won't get the fullness of it until we go to be with Christ. We know that it's to those who are being sanctified through the faith in Jesus Christ, and also that it is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. So we know that no one can take it. And us being sons and heirs, we all have an equal share in this. Just because I'm a son doesn't mean I'm going to take Brian's share. No, he has his own separate, and it's the fullness of it. So, okay, it's forever, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved for us in heaven, and we won't get it till till we're there. What is it? Anybody know? Anybody happen to have a guess? What is in heaven that is undefiled, incorruptible, there forever? It's been there forever, eternal. It's reserved for us in heaven right now. We won't fully understand it. And we won't fully have it until we get there. Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. What did John tell us in verses 14 and 15? Everything that is His was from the Father that we may receive it. It, it will be given to us. But guys, don't go away bummed out. Don't go away down. Well, this is Jesus. It's Jesus. The Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The man whose waist that we saw in there, that was Jesus. He's the one sitting on the throne. He's the one. So flipping back to Colossians and wrapping this up and just ending it with this. As me being the guy that asked the questions, well, how do you know it's Jesus? How do you understand? And how? show me, prove to me that it's Jesus. Psalm 37, 18. So it's forever. We know in, in, from Brian's, Brian's teaching in Colossians, I, I'm going back to it, keeping it consistent in Colossians. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. That's how I know it's Jesus. Because that's who it's talking about. It beats down that Gnostic heresy that we were just talking about in the context of this. In Daniel 12, 13, well, how is it? It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That confirms it. When we die, we're present with the Lord. And then Matthew 24, 31, it talks about the resurrection. And it says this, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. So whether the rapture or we die, we're still up there with Christ. Acts 20.32 To those who are sanctified, John 17.23 says, In them, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. We are sanctified. We are set apart because we are in Christ. His righteousness was put on us. Maybe we don't see it. Maybe we don't fully understand it. First Peter 1.4 An incorruptible undefiled and does not fade away, and in heaven for us, 
Oh, this is, oh, it's a beautiful verse to end on. It says this, For he made him who, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And guys, in that, in the understanding of who God is, in the, in the light of who God is, the, the picture of His glory, the picture of His image, the picture of His validity in His word, does He, des- does he not deserve thanks? Should we not walk out of this study tonight so thankful that people are wondering why we're so thankful? And yet, we can, who knows, maybe we can turn around and share this message with them. Who knows? Well, this is why. Look at the God I serve. Look what Paul did. Look what Paul went through. Guys, may we go in, in the Thanksgiving holiday and just be so thankful and just so grateful for what we have. But yet, let's keep the simplicity of it. As Josh Thompson would say, just Jesus stuff. Oh, snap? Yeah, just Jesus stuff. But there's one more thing that I want to share with you guys in Revelation 21, and then I'm done. Promise, Robert. I'm done. It's, it's everything... It's everything combined into one. It's, it's everything on a whole. It's what we talked about. It's when God makes all things new and the new Jerusalem comes. It says this. This is where we're going. This is our inheritance. And this is what we have to look forward to. In verse 18 it says, The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall were adorned with all kinds of of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, oh, snap. I don't know. It's some rock. You guys can look at it. Fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardis. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, crystal phase. The eleventh, jenkins. And the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were the twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of, was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But yet, this is what I want us to grasp onto. Verses 22 and 23. This is what illuminates everything. This is what's going to make the inheritance. And why Jesus Christ, our inheritance, is going to be so beautiful. <coughs> it says this, But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or of moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The light that is in heaven, that's our inheritance. That's what we're looking forward to. We were going to have communion tonight, but I ran really late, so it's still going to be available for you guys if you want to. Brian, if you want to come up and lead us in a song of worship, if we want to pass out the elements. Um, but thank you guys for having me. I, I'm so grateful to be up here. Uh, thank you guys for bearing with me. Sorry for being long-winded, but praise the Lord. Just Jesus stuff. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have been so gracious and so kind, so beautiful, so vibrant, so wonderful, to mere dust like us, God, that you would long for our thanksgiving, that you would long for our praises and our worship to you, God. Lord, as we go into a time of communion, would you would you lay it on our hearts to be thankful for what you have done, Christ? And we, may we know that you're our inheritance. 
God, speak to us individually in this time of communion, Lord. Use it for your glory. Use it to further to thank your name, God. Jesus, we pray that you would be exalted here and lifted on high. All glory goes to you, Lord. You're so beautiful, so majestic. I love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.